Well, hello, Taquistas, and welcome to the podcast. This is a new year, so we're going to get started with a new initiative, with a new attitude, with a new everything, because uh, we want to take advantage of the space that you guys let us come into when you listen to our podcast and have a conversation about all things Latino. But in this case, we want to start the year, and we're going to continue the year by bringing you all things Latino perspective. So this is not going to be, this year, and, and hopefully moving forward, this is not going to be just about Latino issues. Uh, and and things having are, are concerning just Latinos. What we're going to be talking about now is going to be everyday issues, uh, world issues, uh, economic I- issues, um, education and health and uh, security and and crime and all of the issues that are out there, but from a Latino perspective, because this is our reality. And our reality is that there are Latinos who can speak to any one of these issues. There are well-versed experts in all of these matters that never get called on or seldom get called on on mainstream media. It's as if they don't exist because they don't, uh, they're not in their contact lists. I was going to say Rolodex, but that really would have dated me. But you know what I'm talking about. The way mainstream media works is they speak to the people they've always spoken to. And and it's it's a, a small, tight circle of, of the same experts that you see all the time. And there's not room for Latinos in that, or anybody new, let's say. There's not room for anybody new in that space. And, and Latinos would be new because it's occupied by the same old, same old talking heads. And we will differ with that. Even though we're going to start today with a name that's really well-known, uh, that has been called on to be an expert on uh, matters of uh, foreign affairs, but he is Latino, and this is his bailiwick. This is where he is an expert and where he has just boatloads of experience. Uh, he was a UN ambassador. He was an, uh, an secretary of the uh, energy uh, with um, uh, the Clinton administration. Um, and he has been nominated for Nobel Prizes. He has been a diplomat. He has been an envoy. He knows the world. He knows the issues of the world. And I couldn't think of, uh, of a better versed Latino to talk to us about this than uh, Governor Bill Richardson. So we reached out to Bill Richardson, spoke to him uh, during the uh, during the election season. He came to San Antonio. Antonio and we met and we had a conversation over breakfast talking about the election. And when I reached out to him this time, the first thing he said is, man, we really got this wrong. I said, yeah, it wasn't just you, Governor. We all got this election wrong. And uh, that's where our conversation started offline. But once we got online, it was all about Russia because that is the uh, issue that is taking over headlines and not just Russia, but the U.S. relationship with Russia, what it was, what it may turn out to be. We've got a president-elect who it seems that at any chance he gets will complement the Russian leader, uh, Putin, and uh, and that's got a lot of people concerned uh, because it's a very precarious relationship. And what I liked about our conversation with Bill Richardson is that he explained this relationship uh, very specifically, uh, and very simply, in, in, in the sense that it's not that hard to understand what's going on between the U.S. and Russia and how important it is and how hopefully the new administration is going to be t- uh, paying more attention than than not listening to daily briefs and complimenting the Russian leader because because this is something that uh, well, that affects us all. So with that, uh, here is my conversation with Governor Bill Richardson about uh, com- uh, foreign affairs and the coming years of the uh, of the Trump administration.
So, Governor, thank you very much for uh, being with us this afternoon on the podcast. Thank you, Victor. Nice to be with you. Excellent. Uh, just to, to, to give our listeners uh, a little bit of a, uh, uh, an idea of where you are and, and, and where we're talking from, I'm in San Antonio and you are in Santa Fe? I'm in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, I am uh, active in a number of uh, foreign policy issues. I have a foundation that deals with conflict resolution. I also do speeches, uh, boards, uh, I wrote a book. Anyway, I'm sort of a semi-retired political observer, but still active and concerned about the issues, particularly foreign policy that affect our country. Well, so then we're going to take advantage of that semi and the semi-retired, and we're going to ask you a little bit about something that's been in the headlines uh, very recently, and it's still in the headlines as we speak, and that is the situation, to call it, the, I, I really can't think of any other way to call it, the situation between the United States and Russia, and, and really not the United States, but specifically with our president-elect and Russia and uh, the headlines and, and all the attention that that's drawn. I'm sure you've been keeping tabs about that. I have, and I'm very troubled by the fact that Russia has interfered in our election and our electoral process, that they favored uh, Donald Trump, that they uh, hacked uh, the Democratic National Committee, uh, they promoted fake news, social media uh, against Hillary Clinton. This is unacceptable that a foreign power interfere so blatantly in an American election. And I think it's important that we keep that in mind, but do something about it. What is it then? And, and, and we can get in, in depth into exactly what they did and what the implications are. But as you mentioned that, what is it that can be done about it at this point? Well, first, we have to realize that the America-Russia relationship is very important, but it is also a very competitive adversarial relationship, not just as it has been in the past, but in the foreseeable future. And it basically is because both countries have a disconnect about what each other's role in the world is. So a uh, very important relationship with Russia. We have to deal with them on Syria. They're not helping us there with the Assad regime. We have to deal with them on Iran the Iran nuclear relationship. Both countries, the U.S. and Russia, have several thousand nuclear weapons, and we must reduce them, but the relationship is in tatters, and there's been no arms control reductions. There's a variety of energy and economic relationships. NATO, uh, our European alliance, Russia is messing around in Crimea and Ukraine, threatening NATO, and we have to be actively involved. So this is a very important relationship of many dimensions, and it's important that we recognize there's going to be uh, an adversarial relationship, but it's a relationship that is so badly frayed that it's important that we do something to make it better, but also that we defend our principles and our national security interests. Now, when you say that it's frayed, that it's in tattered, um, why is it, how do we get to this point that our relationship with them is frayed and is in tattered? From your point of view, what, what happened? Well, what happened is two fundamental problems. One is Russia wants to restore itself as a great power. And the only way it's going to do that is at the expense of the United States, of America's power. Russia used to be a huge empire, but uh, 
it was terminated in the years of President Reagan and Clinton, mm-hmm. uh, diminished economic power, national security power. But the only way Russia can restore that is basically chafing away at the United States. In other words, popping the United States, getting involved in our election, uh, fraying the European alliance of NATO, uh, invading Crimea, uh, disrupting Ukraine. In Syria, keeping us out of negotiations on the future of Syria and taking sides with Turkey and Iran against American interests in the Middle East situation. Uh, we've responded by uh, sanctions against Russia, and that has given Russia enormous concerns because the sanctions include European sanctions. So the second point is oil prices have diminished the Russian economy, low oil prices. So Putin needs an excuse, and that excuse is saying there are a lot of external threats to Russia, and that's why I believe they've taken shots at us on Syria, on Ukraine, on Crimea, uh, and meddled in our election. So, uh, again, to take away from domestic concerns about a poor Russian economy, uh, a ruble that is diminishing, lower energy prices, budget problems in the Russian economy, uh, Putin takes it out on the external threat, and that's the United States, NATO, European countries, and the established international order that basically the United States still dominates. Have you uh, ever met uh, Putin? Yes, I have. And when I was Secretary of Energy and UN Ambassador, we had several programs with Russia. The Department of Energy is uh, active with nuclear weapons, and we had a number of relationships on depleted uranium agreements to reduce uranium with Russia, which Russia has now canceled. We used to train the United States Russian scientists that used to be involved with nuclear weapons uh, in computer operations to give alternatives to the Russian economy. As UN ambassador, Russia is a member of the UN Security Council, five major powers, Russia, China, the U.S., France, Britain. So we had to deal with Russia on the Iraq war, many other uh, international security issues. Yes, I have met Putin when I was Secretary of Energy. I was with President Clinton. It wasn't a one-on-one meeting, but it was a meeting of about 10 cabinet secretaries from both sides talking about issues. And he's a very smart guy, but he's also Machiavellian. And you could tell that he is always anxious to find a way to jab the big power in the world, and that's us. It's been really interesting to hear what diverse or or different uh, U.S. presidents or or, uh, presidents-elect have said. I remember George W. Bush said that he had looked into his eyes and and, and seen goodness or or something to to, to that extent. And and now we have uh, um, Donald uh, Trump, who seems to, for some reason, uh, keeps... uh, for lack of a better word, uh, uh, talking talking him up, like complimenting him. Uh, well, uh, how do you square that? How, how can that be? Well, there's no question that President Obama and President Putin have not had a good relationship, personal relationship. And that's important in a uh, U.S.-Russia relationship, but it's not the only motivating factor. We shouldn't think just because Putin and 
Trump are going to get along because they've flirted with each other during this election, <laughs> that that's good yeah. for the relationship. I think what is very important is that we realize that Russia is an adversary. And what we need to do is three steps. One, uh, we should not let Russia get away with them messing around with our election and democratic system. And that means looking at additional sanctions, making sure the sanctions that we've pushed uh, mainly on Russian uh, individuals traveling to the U.S., other sanctions, economic sanctions are enforced. Number two is we have to reassure our European allies that we're committed to the European alliance, to NATO. Uh, in other words, make sure that uh, Germany, France, Britain, our European allies know, uh, Poland, that we will stand with them and Russia starts any further encroachment. Mm -hmm. And I think what we also need to do is is focus on Ukraine. I mean, this is a country that is important, but Russia is going to continue trying to make it dysfunctional. And then lastly, uh, yeah, the other issues where we have a relationship, energy, uh, oil prices, Syria, uh, use the UN, find ways to make the relationship better, but be under no illusions that this is just because Trump and Putin seem to like each other uh, on the short-term basis, that that's going to improve their relationship. There's some real legitimate national security interest. The last thing we should do is let Putin think that we're in his pocket because he has a relationship with Trump. And Trump has to listen to our intelligence agencies, all our assets about how we can protect our national security and not become a stooge of Vladimir Putin. And that's what it looks, at least in his early days as president-elect, that that's what's happening. And that you've described this adversarial relationship, uh, relationship between the United States and Russia as uh, almost as a as a zero sum game. There's only there's only so much power, and and to to go between each and their the U S and Russia are fighting for a little legroom to see who gets the, the 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 upper hand in this relationship. What is the danger in, uh, in in putting these sanctions forward that could maybe tip this balance one way or another? Because it sounds like it's a very precarious balance. Well, if we don't do the sanctions, uh, Russia is not going to diminish their objective in trying to uh, find ways to disrupt our power. One, um, the absence of sanctions is not going to make them stop messing around in Syria, mm -hmm. uh, bombing Aleppo with Assad of Syria, uh, not helping the refugees, finding ways to undermine the American relationship with Turkey, which is very important because of Turkey's access and ability to help the refugees there. Uh, number two, uh, the Iran relationship, the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, Russia could end up with Iran, not just in Syria, but on the nuclear relationship, finding ways for Iran to resume their nuclear programs, and then we don't want that. And then lastly, in Europe, um, you know, what we need to do is we can't let Russia get involved in the next elections, as mm -hmm. they did in our election in Europe. You've got races in France, a presidential election. Uh, in the Netherlands, in several other countries that are important in Germany, 
to Russia, that they not get involved in those elections the way they did in our election. And they might very well do that. So there's a lot at stake here. Uh, the one good thing about the Trump-Putin relationship is maybe there'll be a cooling off period. Maybe there'll be a little honeymoon. And, and yeah, we do need to restore our relationship with Russia, but not at our expense. Yeah, definitely. And that, that brings me to the last question I, I wanted to bring up with you, and that's uh, the question of, of the uh, intelligence briefings that you brought up uh, just a, a few moments ago. Um, have you been privy to some of these intelligence briefings? Not that I'm going to ask you what's in them, but, but uh, it seems that Donald Trump diminishes their importance by not wanting to listen to them. Uh, do you think he should be? He should be listening to them. He should get a briefing every day. When I was in the cabinet, we had verbal and written briefings, highly classified, about very sensitive issues. Most of the time, 98% of the time, the intelligence community is accurate. Yeah, they've made some misjudgments and mistakes. But for Trump to treat them with disdain, not listen to them, uh, there are some real policy problems that he's going to have if he becomes a president without intelligence briefings. We have 17 agencies that do these intelligence briefings and assessments, several billion dollars. We invest enormously. There are a lot of Americans that are uh, intelligence agencies whose lives we don't want jeopardized. Sources and methods, they're important. He should listen to them. His staff should listen to them. And there should not be this negative relationship that exists right now between the national security team, President-elect Trump, and our intelligence agencies, led by the CIA, FBI, and the National Security Agency. And it seems like uh, he's not adamant, but uh, doesn't want to change his mind about not getting those daily briefings. Uh, in your, given your experience and, and looking forward the next four years, how do you see or what do you see are the, the hot spots in foreign relations and what are the, the, the things that could happen? What are the dangers out there? Uh, as uh, as Donald Trump takes the reins of power in about a week or so? Well, we have some very, very uh, concerning national security challenges. The first is the threat of ISIS and international terrorism and domestic terrorism in our own shores. Uh, that's number one. Number two, nuclear proliferation, uh, weapons of mass destruction from North Korea, uh, potentially Iran, other countries that sell nuclear materials on the black market, Pakistan. So that's the second. The third is uh, some kind of uh, economic dislocation uh, caused by uh, international economic factors uh, that uh, right now, uh, because of the turbulent political situation in the Middle East, might cause disruptions. Um, there are many other threats, uh, climate change, uh, national security threat, and, and Donald Trump should listen to the science that this is a international priority, uh, man-made emissions causing uh, much of these problems. And then there's threats of poverty, of endemic diseases, on treatment of women, on sexual abuse, on uh, malnutrition, uh, a whole variety of important international issues that the United Nations uh, 
needs to take care of uh, and, and take the lead. And I think it's important. Obviously, our relationships with NATO, our base, our Latin America, I'd like to see us pay more attention to our own region, the immigration issue. The relationship with China is obviously very important. Uh, stopping North Korea, making sure we get China and other countries in Asia support for policies that restrain North Korea's nuclear weapons. Uh, the problems of international uh, poverty in, in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Uh, there are so many challenges that we have. Energy, making sure that uh, renewable energy, lower energy prices don't crush the international economy. Uh, as part of that, a commitment to environmental restoration, and that's climate change and clean energy and uh, technology to the poorest people on earth, uh, remembering that most people don't even have a cell phone in the third world, and that it's important that we recognize that can technology can be an important asset to fostering economic development and peace among countries. My God, that is a very full plate. So uh, I'll, t I'll tell well, you what we'll do is, uh, is as these things unfold in the, in the next few months and years, we will check back with you to get your, to get your ideas and, and get your perspectives so, so that we can uh, stay as, as well-informed as we can. And I have, uh, please, uh, you have the full support for uh, your, your initiatives to inform the Latino and Hispanic community because these issues affect us all. Uh, you know, Latinos are not just interested in immigration and, and Hispanic issues. We care about foreign policy, national security, education, crime. We're mainstream Americans. And I think the service that you do, the service that you do through this is very important. You're, you're performing a, a very valuable service, and I wish you the very best. All right, Victor. Take care, buddy. Yeah, you too. Take care. So there it is. The, the thing that I liked about uh, talking to Governor Richardson is that uh, from our point of view, he gets it. He gets what it is that we're trying to do at New Stockholm, and that is to lift the voices of Latinos in the United States because Latinos are mainstream USA. We are America, and we've got a point of view as well. And it's not different than anybody else's. It's just that we have a point of, a point of view as well. And we're going to be listened to. And there are people in our community who can speak to every issue that you can think of. And we start that, uh, we start that today with, uh, with Governor Richardson. And as, as we uh, move on to other issues throughout the next few months and years of this new presidency, we are going to be lifting the voices of Latino, Latinos in the U.S., who can speak to these issues and who have very, very valid and strong points of view. And we're going to have that conversation in this space because this space is needed. It's also needed that you guys listen, that you guys come back and listen to us again when we have a, a, another podcast. Uh, go to News Taco and read our stories. Uh, go to uh, the Latino Daily so you can subscribe to our daily morning newsletter. The way you do that is by going to our Facebook page. That's one way. And there's a blue button that says sign up. So click on that button, send us your information, and I will get you our, uh, our morning newsletter. Um, you can watch the uh, updates that I do. I, I, re I record a, a morning live segment at 6.30 in the morning. If you're up at that hour, go to the uh, News Taco Facebook page, and you, you can watch me trying to uh, doing my best to stay awake. 
awake and to be awake and, and write the morning newsletter. And, uh, and, and you can also just uh, stay in touch through our social media channels, uh, Facebook and Twitter. And, uh, you know, we're, we're also on LinkedIn because I think that we've got a lot of, uh, a lot of readers and listeners who uh, use, use that channel as well. So that's it for today. Um, stay tuned. Thank you for listening. I uh, appreciate it. And we will see you next time around. Bye-bye.